You are listening to Radio Ramadan 365 Podcasts. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, Radio Ramadan 87.7 FM, uh, Reflections uh, with your host Zubair Akram, Sheikh Rizwan again. Assalamu alaikum, Sheikh. Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Just this thing is quite unique. Um, more I think about it, more grateful and more gratitude uh, you inculcate in your heart that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has enabled us. Uh, when there is a difficulty, there is ease. When there is a necessity, there is some opportunity in it. And we're able to broadcast, we're able to speak to each other and speak to uh, and include people of Glasgow in the conversations they are used to for past many, many years. And it, this in itself is a testimony, I, I believe, to the, the divine nature of uh, this cosmos that where whenever there is difficulty, there is an opportunity in it. Even this part here that we do, Sheikh. Yeah, alhamdulillah. I mean, it's partly technology, partly it's not something not of our doing, but, um, you know, we obviously had discussions about whether we could continue doing the show, and I think we wanted to make it as close to the um, the previous shows as possible. Um, so as much as you can set up the quality, I think, inshallah, we've managed to secure that now. Um, you know, as for the content itself, you know, we always try and um, connect it back to the Qur'an. This is the month of the Qur'an. It's a feast within which we reconnect for those that have disconnected, reconnecting with the Qur'an, the message of God. The message of God being the pre-eternal speech of Allah, communicated to human beings, as Abu Hanifa says, for the for the needs of mankind. So this is what's fascinating about the Qur'an is, you know, when scholars talk about, you know, an issue of theology, which is Allah's speech, Allah who's beyond time, beyond space, whose speech is beyond time, beyond space. When it comes into the world, it is there for, you know, it's there to service, the words are to service our needs. In other words, this is for you. It's hudallinnas. It's such a simple phrase that we use all the time. It's a guidance for mankind. Essentially what that means is it's, it's there to service the needs that we will need in our lives from the moment of birth to the point of our death. And so the whole point of the reflection show was to connect with the Quran, not in a in a classical, simple, um, traditional tafsir setup, which is just commenting on verse by verse, but to some way to, to show that the Quran has complete relevance in every single aspect, regardless of where the chapter or verses are revealed, they have a, a, a complete um, relevance to the day, day, day in life of our own experience that we're living in. And um, if you start to understand that, then you understand that your connection with the Quran should not be restricted to the month of Ramadan itself. So if you can make these connections with the Quran in, outside the month of Ramadan, um, and you've already done in the month of Ramadan with this type of show, then, you know, inshallah, the, that will be hudalinnas. That will be a guidance for you outside, you know, the month when there's perhaps no fasting and there's people going back to their day-to-day routines, which are, you know, not in keeping with what they've learned in Ramadan. The Quran is still there. The Quran is still this light of guidance in very tribulant, very turbulent, you know, times very, very, very much filled with tribulations. And, um, you know, essentially for everybody, it's the same thing, myself, yourself, it's the same thing. This The feeling of a connectedness with the Quran is what essentially sustains us 
and myself as, as a human being. And so it's just fascinating to see that unfolding in the month of Ramadan. Um, and then to always, you know, obviously just to keep on tabs with what's happening in the world at the same time, which is what I always like to do. Because mm. there is a mindset amongst people, which is you should become otherworldly or just focused on deen. In other words, you, you don't really care about what's happening in the world. And and the, and the people that say that usually misquote the Prophet ﷺ, which is unfortunate. You know, they say, like the Prophet ﷺ said in a very famous Sahih hadith, Mali wa dunya, what, what have I got to do with the world? Do you understand? So they say, oh, they mean, this means the Prophet ﷺ never would have kept up to date with what was happening or kept 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 a tab on developments in other parts of the world and and looked at what was what was coming up and who was cre- creating a threat for his community. No, the Prophet ﷺ was the, the, at the forefront of people that was had his finger on the pulse of where the world was going, of public opinion as well, where it was going, so that he could counter it, and so. You know, one of the, the real challenges of Muslims is to make the Qur'an, which is this timeless teaching, make it and connect it with the lives that they're living in a way that they don't just copy and paste it and throw it in people's faces and and insist that it's, it's, it's understood in one way and one way alone. It's that you have to bring it into the world and then see how what the, what the message means in this context. And this is why, you know, in the, in the Qur'an, when we were looking at this, in fact, it was one of the verses that we actually looked at um, previously. I didn't go into it because it's a, deep, it's a deeper issue. When Allah says, مَا, ما That there never comes to people from their Lord a remembrance, which is a new remembrance, a new reminder. So a new reminder meaning it's constantly changing in the way that, that it addresses people. And one of the meanings that came out of that, which I mentioned in passing yesterday, was the fact that the Qur'an in these chapters is talking very simple things. Tawheed, oneness of God, the sending of prophets, the judgment at the end of time. But the way that it does it is muhdath. It is giving a new example, a new reminder, a new way of speaking, a new line of attack, if you want, to make the same point. And so, you know, alhamdulillah that Allah has allowed us to, to reflect upon the Qur'an in a way that's in keeping with its, with its original meanings, alhamdulillah. I'm going to go back to you on this one, the new line of attack and the context and how it changes. Uh, before I do that, let's go to Surah Anbiya, 21st Surah of Qur'an. Uh, which is uh, which is our discussion point for this month for next 24 odd days as well first five ayahs surah anbiya translation and commentary in the name of allah the entirely merciful the especially merciful the time of their account has approached for the people while they are in heedlessness turning away. No mention comes to them anew from their Lord, except that they listen to it while they are at play. 
With their hearts distracted, and those who do wrong conceal their private conversation, saying, Is this prophet except a human being like you? So would you approach magic while you are aware of it? The Prophet said, My Lord knows whatever is said throughout the heaven and earth, and He is the hearing, the knowing. But they say, the revelation is but a mixture of false dreams. Rather, he has invented it. Rather, he is a poet. So let him bring us a sign, just as the previous messengers were sent with miracles. سورہ انبیاء اکیسویں سورت قریب آ گیا ہے لوگوں کے حساب کا وقت اور وہ ہیں کہ غفلت میں منہ موڑے ہوئے ہیں ان کے پاس جو تازہ نصیحت بھی ان کے رب کی طرف سے آتی ہے اس کو باتکلف سنتے ہیں اور کھیل میں پڑے رہتے ہیں دل ان کی دوسری ہی فکروں میں منہمک ہیں اور ظالم آپس میں سرگوشیاں کرتے ہیں کہ یہ شخص آخر تم جیسا رسو تم جیسا انسان ہی تو ہے ایک بشر ہی تو ہے پھر کیا تم ان آنکھوں کو دیکھے پھر کیا تم آنکھوں دیکھتے جادو کے پندے میں پھنس جاؤ گے رسول نے کہا میرا رب ہر اس بات کو جانتا ہے جو آسمان اور زمین میں کی جائے وہ سمی اور علیم ہے وہ کہتے ہیں بلکہ یہ پراگندہ خواب ہیں بلکہ یہ اس کی من گھڑت ہے بلکہ یہ شخص شاعر ہے ورنہ یہ لائے کوئی نشانی جس طرح پرانے زمانے کے رسول نشانیوں کے ساتھ بھیجے گئے تھے صدق اللہ شیخ And we started with lahiyatan, lahiyatan qulubuhum, and which ends with wa'antum tubsirun. Yeah, bismillahirrahmanirrahim. I think yesterday we did up to, we, did, we finished three, so we went into <clears throat> um, verse number four, which is a response to that. So yesterday we completed this discussion about the fact that there's such a serious situation um, at hand, which is the, the establishment of their judgment. And the establishment of the judgment means that there's little time for them to respond and there's very little time for them to make a decision on what they're doing. But what you find them doing is that they're in this state of heedlessness, that they're in a state of um, conspicuously and also intentionally turning their back. And the psychological state of these people is that they're, the, the very faculty that makes them think, which is the qalb and the aqal, is um, in a state of playfulness. Playfulness is a situation where you don't intend to take anything seriously. 
And within that, Allah says that najwa. And at that point, they have this secret discussion amongst themselves. The people that are having it are the people that are wronging themselves. Al-zulm is to, you know, to misplace something. And here, what they're doing is misplacing their own spiritual souls and and the and the you know the salvation of their own souls. They're misplacing that. And what are they saying? Hal hada illa mithlukum? Is this nothing but you know a man like ourselves? You know, so why should we take him seriously if he's not an angel or some kind of supernatural being that will never pass away? And and then they say, If if for example one of them took, took the Prophet seriously, they would say, Are you going to then accept and approach what is essentially for them magic? While you should be able to see he's only a, he's only a human being. Hmm. And then the response to the Prophet وسلم, is. That Allah knows all of this conversation. And not just that, you know, think of Lahiatan Qulubuhum. You know, that is something that's hidden. It's not something that anybody knows. The the state of um, neglect that they have is something that's hidden. Allah is saying that Allah knows that and He also knows these secret conversations that are taking place amongst themselves. And it's almost like, you know, nowadays, imagine there was some here's a kind of email, set of emails going between a couple of people, or there was an encrypted message that people were you know, sowing discord amongst people or spreading lies. And they thought nobody would know about it. All of a sudden, it's in the public domain. And they're thinking, how did it come out? It was only two of us that were sharing the, the messages. Mm. At that point, the Prophet is saying, قَالَ رَبِّي That my, is my Lord is the one who knows these discussions, these conversations that take place, whether they be in the heaven or in the earth. وَهُوَ السَّمِيعُ الْعَلِيمُ it is he and he alone that is ultimately hearing and ultimately knowledgeable. And so, you know, th- th- this um, in- introduction to the chapter is is, is fascinating because it gives the, the immediacy of the issue, the seriousness of the issue, and then it shows the psychological state of the people that have refused to accept the Prophet And then it goes on to, in verse number five is actually, then it, it really does become interesting because it shows that the, the, the Quraysh and by extension everybody that rejects the Prophet are never going to be able to come to any kind of conclusion on how to approach this issue because they know that they cannot but accept it and if they don't accept it they have to come up with one idea after another one accusation after another one aspersion after another one slander and hate speech you know section section after another because what do they say? Balqalu adghatu ahlamin, and then they start to say what um, that he has come come up with what you could say are jumbled up dream images. Ahlam is something you know when you have a dream, a ru'ya. A ru'ya is a clear, pure, um, almost um, inspirational insight from the unseen. That's called the ru'ya, and this is why the prophets are always um, said to have. A ru'ya, such as the Prophet Yusuf والسلام, such as the Prophet in his first revelation that he was receiving the Prophets have ru'ya they don't have ahlam in that sense ahlam are these kind of confused images and and um, dreams and premonitions that come when the ruh and the nafs are in combat and the shayateen as well are able to disperse and scramble the messages that are coming from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that clarity is not there it's almost like you know you have a I, I think last yesterday you had a camera which had 720 or is it 4 
60 um, definition. Now you've got much better camera, I can see. So yep. the scrambling of, 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 the, of, the, of the pixels from one part of the world to another depends on the quality of the medium through which it's going. And ahlam are things that are, you know, it's like pixels, spiritual pixels that are going through a very bad, poor quality line. And therefore, you're not able to see anything properly. So it's muddled up. And so what they say is, it's adghaz wa ahlam. It is these kind of muddled, jumbled, um, you know, premonitions and images that the Prophet billah is coming with. So that's how they explain it. So some of them say, well, that's what we'll say. And then some say, no, no. No, he's made it up. He's he sat in his his um, room, he's thought about this, and he's wrote it down himself, and he's said this is from God. In other words, it's a lie, it's a fabrication. It's not nothing to do with the unseen. It's nothing to do with you know images or or premonitions or anything like that. And they think, you know, how how can you do all this? How how can you come up with a speech that lead, leaves us? Speechless, speech that leaves us speechless, and so some of them then said, because his speech is so eloquent, he must be a sha'ir. And then you know, the whole point is they can never come to a conclusion of how to address the challenges of Prophet, specifically the challenge of the Quran. And this reminds me of one of my teachers, Sheikh Walid Din Farfur in Damascus, he gives a lecture on um. You know, poetic rhyme and ilm al urud. Ilm al urud is how you construct poems in Arabic and, and deconstruct them and analyze them. He gives a lecture in which he proved that the science of poetry is the most important Islamic science. Hmm. And, uh, you know, he, before he started, he said, I'm going to give you a lecture which will show you that, you know, the study of Arabic poetry and pre Islamic poetry is the most important science of all the sciences of Islam. And we were, you know, to be honest, I was, I was about to say, well, no, you can't do that. I'm sure there's some kind of blasphemy somewhere in that statement. I didn't say it, but everybody was looking around thinking he's he's joking. But to be honest, after 40 minutes, he he had it. He had nobody arguing with him because he basically showed that the Quran is not poetry. Because once you study poetry and the the best of poetry the Arabs had, and then you at the end he compared it to the Quran, you were clear that you know this yes. If you know that the Quran is not poetry, you know it's not from the speech of human beings, which means it's from the speech of God, which means it's the word of God and everything it's saying is true. And so what's interesting is that the Quraysh and the and enemies of the Prophet at this point are in running scared of the Prophet towards the end of the Meccan period, unable to, you know, unable to challenge him, unable to, to agree upon what to say about him. And as you know, in the Seerah, what they do is they end up Deciding that they have to assassinate the Prophet So at this point in the but, Seerah But, but oh, oh, What I hear from you is As if being a shire Or having poetry Is some kind of elevation In status Whereas this is like saying Bal, then bal, then bal Right So the first is It's like a weird dream and then it's concocted. And no, 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 that's not just it. It is actually probably just a poet, meaning that's not credible at all because he's a poet. Yeah, so Sha'ir comes from Arabic, which is. Yes, yeah, so no, no. I mean, Sha'ir in Arabic is from Shu'ur, which is to. You know, in, in, in Turkish, Urdu, it's all this. Shu'ur is to have feeling, deep feeling. To express it in language is called um, Sha'ar. 
and Mashaira is like this kind of competition. You have Mashaira, you know, you know, this kind of thing that happens where people compose and have a, you know, almost like nowadays in, in modern culture, they have a, um, I'm sure they have a rap off, you know, they, where they compose um, rap or something to combat each other. Um, the Shair here that's meant is, is a normal person that's playing with words and rhythm and rhyme. And obviously you have a, a normal shahir is somebody that does, as long as the, the rhyme is correct and it makes sense, they don't care whether they're lying or telling the truth. But Exaggeration. This is an exaggeration. But the Prophet also said, indeed within some poetry is, 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 is magic. And the Prophet used to you know, love certain types of poetry. And the Prophet said that you know, the most... Um, the most eloquent of the lines of poetry is, is the line of the poet who said that everything, everything except the, the, the face of Allah is batil, is, is um, you know, futile. So what they mean here is somebody who just is playing with words and says things regardless of the truthfulness behind them. And so it's an accusation. But shi'ar, the best of shi'ar is what shows what language can do in terms of creating a feeling within the person to change. If you, leave, if you, if you listen to some beautiful poetry, and I've seen Urdu poets doing this where they, you know, they, they actually faint, I'm sure, in Lahore if they have a, a poetry competition where somebody drops a, drops a line of poetry and everybody just faints because of the, the, the depth of the poetry. See, I mean, that's it. Walwala is like, it's like a play on, it's onomatopoeia. It's like, it's amazing what you can do with language. But the Quran is not poetry. And, you know, once you, ignore, once you put that aside, and you challenge the, uh, the Arabs to bring something like it, and they can't. It means it's not something that they've ever attempted to put together in the alphabet that they have in front of them. Mm -hmm. and it's not as if the, the Quran uses a different alphabet or a different word structure, essentially. Some of the words it makes into a new meaning pattern, like salah or zakat or hajj. These are words that Arabs used to use for different things. But this is it. And so... What, what, com what comes at the end of the verse number five is quite interesting as well. And so let him bring. So they're saying he's he's one of these all these different things, and let him bring a sign, essentially a, mir a miracle, as the previous prophets, you know, as the previous people that were sent brought. You know, okay, whatever he's saying is not affecting us because we think he's lying, or he's having confused dream states, or he is a poet. Okay, just bring something like the parting of the seas. Bring something like the changing of the 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 the, the staff into a snake, for example, or the the bringing down of manna wa salwa, for example. You know, some kind of some kind of heavenly food, or the ma'idatun min sama as the Quran says for the Prophet Isa. You know, a, a table spread. Hmm. And so, at this point, you would say, okay, they've got a point. They've got a point because they're saying, okay. Why doesn't the Prophet just bring something like extraordinary, like magical? Because that's all they're saying. Is, is do, you, do you not think that they have a point? They have they're being fair because they can't they can't agree on what the Prophet is saying. 
And so the Quran responds to them with something that I think Muslims need to think about quite a, quite a bit. Because most Muslims would think the same. You know, just give us proof that God exists. Like, imagine, um, you know, people sometimes think, does paradise really exist? Or does God really exist? Do angels really exist? You know, just once a year, that God can just give a, a, a massive sign to us that God exists. Or that there's, that there's an angel, for example. Every year in one different continent, an angel comes. And so, Iman taza ho jata hai. You know, just to freshen our faith. You know, yeah. or, you know, or we can see the Prophet speaking to us when we go to Madid Nawara. Like everybody sees, like 100,000 people see the Prophet responding to our salam, for example. Now, the Quran responds to that, which is quite a stupid thing because what's faith? Allah says, Ma amanat qablahum min qariyatin ahlaknaha. So this is, you know, it's so deep that you need to think about this. Allah says that. Not one of the peoples before them that we destroyed believed. You know, all these people that were given uh, miracles and they saw them in front of them and they, they, they experienced them directly. They didn't believe, but they were destroyed. Do, do these people who are so steadfast in their enmity to the Prophet, do they think that they're going to believe after this happens? Because what belief is that? What type of belief is it? When it's not belief, it's a fact. It's like the sun rises, the moon appears. Yeah, none, never. No one before them, any of the peoples, before them believed, but rather they were destroyed. You know, meaning even though the miracles came to them. So this is this. You know why I said you know this is so important for Muslims to think about, is that our religion came with something interesting, which is the the strength of its of its proof was not based on miracles, other than the Quran. If you think about it, if you think about history of the Prophet the Sira is there, like details like you cannot imagine, the names, lineages, the. The ages, the, the mothers, the wives, everything is there. The wealth of people, everything is recorded. So something like a miracle, you know, the kind of miracle states would be clear. The Prophet never built his proof of his prophecy upon the types of miracles that previous prophets had. Mm. Apart from the Quran. Sheikh, I'm a bit lost. I'm a Good. Bit lost. I'm a bit lost in the surah, surah Anbiya. So surah Anbiya is what we're discussing. Um, so far, there is, uh, yeah, some take-home messages for me, but I'm a little confused. Mm -hmm. At break, and inshallah, we'll be back, and I'm going to present my confusion to Sheikh, and hopefully I'll get an answer. Hmm. So uh, welcome back to Reflections with Sheikh Radwan Muhammad. Uh, surah Anbiya. The 21st surah and just before the break and this beautiful nasheed the uh, people who are listening to uh, on radio not on facebook we have some copyright issues uh, mustafa jani rahmat billahi salam uh, i was saying to sheikh i'm a little confused where the surah is going and where sheikh's commentary is going with it so i'm a little lost so the first it, it says the time of people's judgment has drawn near so it's invitation to uh, feel the closeness of the end of time. And then people are 
um, heedless, and we covered the definition of heedlessness. Heedless, and what struck me was that uh, the, the symptom of one who's heedless is the one who gets depressed at a very small thing or gets excited at a very small thing. There is no in-between. And that kind of character is the one, if we identify ourselves with that kind of character, we are in a state of heedlessness. We are, we have a disconnect with our creator. And to connect with our creator, what Sheikh um, uh, shared with us was that reading lots of durood and salawat is one of the many things we can do to avoid heedlessness, to get closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And of course, istighfar, uh, repentance, uh, creates this feeling of uh, being out of ghafla, uh, that you are connected and you're grounded. You have, uh, you know your bearings, where you're going. And from there, it's um, whatever new reminder comes to them from their Lord, they only listen to it jokingly. And what I want to ask Sheikh Sheikh is that, it's what we are taught. It's not a history book. It's not. It's not just a history book. It's not for the people who were living at that time. What they did, how it relates to us. ما يأتيهم من ذكر من ربهم محدثين إلا استمعوه وهم يلعبون. Are we? Can we be in that state, or can we identify people being in this state and how we relate to this ayah? Yeah, Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. I think it, it's, I think the Quran always invites a person to think about its relevance to our own situation, and so when you have a, a, a situation where you you don't know where it's going, I mean, I, I mean, to be honest, I'll, I'll let you into a secret. I don't know where it's going. Mm. You're speaking as if I know where it's going. The whole point is, if, if you engage with the Quran, knowing where it's going, you take it where you want it to go. But there's there's a there's an there's an area of the Quran where you know exactly where it's going because that's the meaning of it in a book of tafsir. If you're trying to reflect upon how it's making sense to you, you know, as you're living your life, then at that point it is not the same thing. It's something slightly different. So, you know, why does the Quran say it's that it comes to them replenished? Muhdathin is like renewed. Meaning the whole process of it being renewed and the and the and the line of attack being changed and the, and the nature of the of the of the discourse being slightly nuanced and the angle of of the you know engagement being you know altered slightly, all of this is to get you out of your you know what we call our comfort zone in terms of thinking, in terms of habits, in terms of I know what this book's all about. I don't need to read it again. You know I think it was um, I'm sure it was um, who was it. It was um, a very famous poet who was, just left my mind, Ezra Pound. He said, the most amazing book is the book that when you read it, you know you've not read it and you have to read it again. It's the, it's the book that remains fresh at all times. And that really fits into the Quran in, in a way that no other, you know, no other book could actually fit into. Because every time you come to it, why do people end doing a khatam? And then do, read it again. Sometimes in, in Ramadan, they do multiple khatams. And at the very minimum, people, you know, read it from cover to cover in a year or whatever. 
the point is, no one will read it and say, I've done it, unless you're one of these cultural people that say, you know, I've, I read the Quran when I was seven years old or 10 years old and you never touched it since. We're talking about a, a relationship. And so the Quran is simply saying at this beginning point <clears throat> that things are serious. And you know what? Your mindset is such that despite it being serious, you're looking for excuses not to take it seriously. That's it, simple. That's the introduction. Mm. And that's for everybody. Things are serious. Things are hot heating up. Things are getting too close to call. And everyone is just idling about, Netflixing from one series to another, you know, falling into one job to another, filling up their CV or just lazing about or, you know, you know, it being productive, unproductive. You know, I was watching something today about productivity and the fact that they were saying now that there's a whole line of thinking that is that the, the less productive you are, the better you are as a person because there must be some secret to why people are so lazy. So people come up with all sorts of excuses to do what they want to do. So every theory is there to justify a lazy person. So this lazy person... Yeah, this lazy person came up with this theory over 20 years about why laziness might be a sign of genius. So obviously this lazy genius took 20 years to realize that his genius is in his laziness. But the Quran, you know, that, that initial introduction to this chapter is, is such, a, such a timeless lesson, I think. You know, you never get a more timeless lesson than that. You know, there's a fire going on and you're, you're dilly-dallying with something insignificant in your house and the, and the house is about to fall down. That's, or your, your child's about to f fall in front of, you know, a, a freight train or something and you're just, you know, more concerned about tying your laces or something. It's something where something important is happening, you're doing something that's in, in irrelevant. Mm -hmm. And so what's happening here is instead of Quraysh facing up to this reality, which nobody can deny, which is you will be taken to account, they're looking for all these excuses to get, to get out of being engaged with the discussion. Hmm. Take it seriously. Hmm. And so for everybody, if, if, if you're not the Quraysh, it's still relevant to you. If you're not an enemy of the Prophet it's still absolutely relevant to you because that mindset of the ghafla, of turning your back on things and just deciding to do things that are not necessarily your business, coming up with excuses, which was the Quraysh are doing essentially, all these things are just plucked out of thin air and just to buy time. When, as we know in the first verse, there's no time. This is coming like a speed train hitting another speed train. Boom. And that's it. So, you know, I think the chapter is really uncovering a very uncomfortable reality for us, which is, first of all, that we're all procrastinating and the second thing that just came up is that even if you know the unseen was made seen to us we would still fall into our ghafla now that is a deep thing because that means if you were to see things that made everything clear it wouldn't increase your faith in anything that's unseen because the human nature is such that it always goes down to the nafs the nafs always pulls it down to what is beneficial and what is enjoyable and what is easy. And it always looks for excuses to find a way of justifying that. So look at the people. The, the proof of what I've just said is the, is the people around the Prophet who were his friends and enemies. His enemies in Mecca, 13 years of the most spiritual 
part of the Prophet's life, the most meaning, the most you know, radiant, um, glistening part where he was compassionate and teaching and embracing the poor and you know all these things that even you know anti-Muslim hate speech, you know, they would say the Prophet in Mecca was beautiful, a beautiful man. I've heard this, like they would say, oh, if only he remained like he was in Mecca, we wouldn't have a problem. In Mecca, the people that were his enemies were greater enemies in Mecca than in Medina. You know, and when he left to Medina Nawara, they realized they had to go after him and, and um, bring his life to an end. They couldn't do it. Sheikh, sorry, I'm going to take you back to what you said before. So what you said, I'm still kind of there and you've moved on. What you said, even if everything was revealed, we will still be in a state of ghafla. Mm -hmm. Even if it's seen everything which is unseen, as human beings will remain in the state of heedlessness. You know, that reminds me of this um, Nusrat Fatali Khan. He, he said this, Unki apna shahar zaniya shayrt kisi aur kaya ke tum ek gorak dhanda ho. Ho bhi nahi aur gorak dhanda. Ye samaj nahi aara kuch. Kabhi samaj aata hai, kabhi nahi aata. Abhi samaj aane lagta hai, कि ओ हां मिल गया खुदा पा लिया मैंने समझ आ गई कि है क्या जिंदगी की समझ आ गई लेकिन फिर नहीं समझ आती आती है फिर चली जाती है this is the whole, you know, the dunya is, as, as the Arabs say, is mazra'atul akhirah. It's the, oh. it's the sowing field of the hereafter. It's where mm -hmm. you are tested. And the test cannot be a test if, you know, if I, if I say to my students, we have an exam and here is the exam and here's the answers right there. So this four choices, this one's A, this one's B, this one's C. Okay, they pass. Okay. Which of my students is going to feel fulfilled? Apart from the ones that want to show off that they passed in, in, in public. <laughs> Do you understand? Like, that is such a, you know, for a, for, a, for a real person, that would be such a torturous situation. Like, mm -hmm. if, if you believe yourself to be a human being and you, you, you feel that you've achieved something, imagine you've achieved, you go, I used to, you used to go hill walking, didn't you? So yeah, when you got yeah. to the top of Monroe, did you not feel you achieved something? Alhamdulillah, yes. So would you have that or rather somebody take you from your bed, grab you and, and take you on a drone and drop you on the top of the Munro? You can have a look and take you all the way back. Mm, yeah. Which one? Toil, toil, toil. No, why? Why? Is it like, well, why, are you, why are you torturing yourself? Iqbal kata ki... Uh, hai, raaz hai zindagi, uh -huh. hai ah, yeah, you think that life is the secret, whereas it's the tasting of this. Hai yeah. yeah, so it's 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 tasting the, the journey. It's journey, journey. It's it's the journey. It's, it's, yeah, it's not. So this is what, you know, is, you know, what's more important, the beginning of the end, it's not, it's a journey. It's a journey to how you get to somewhere. And that's what gives you satisfaction that you, that you were tested and you passed. Mm -hmm. 
But the paradox here is in the, in the hereafter, you know, ultimately people will not care about that journey. They'll want to get to the end. So, you know, it won't be your actions that the Prophet said will get you into paradise. There's the Prophet, you know, the companions, the Prophet said, none of you will enter paradise based on your actions. And, and they said, وَلَا أَنْتَ يَا رَسُولَ اللَّهِ And he said, وَلَا أَنَا إِلَّا يَتَغَمَّدِنِي اللَّهُ بِرَحْمَةٍ مِّنْهُ وَفَضْلٍ Unless God envelops me in his compassion and his generosity, fadl. It's this kind of over, over, overriding sense of um, beneficence that God has. So ultimately, yes, the journey is fantastic. The choices we make are fantastic. Passing the exams are fantastic. But essentially, we're trying to just scrape into our place in the hereafter. So this um, chapter is, is uncovering some very dark aspects of human nature which is that even if they were given the message, the, the miracles openly, they would add some one other thing. Oh, can you just let us see this other thing that you were kind of worrying about? Or we were just wondering, could we not see that thing that happened? And it becomes like Netflix. They want a series two of miracles, series three. We're bored because we don't believe this is happening in front of our eyes because it might be augmented reality or something. Do you understand? Because people nowadays walking about not knowing what their own name is, never mind whether it, the world is real or not. And so the Quran unveils something that's so deep in the human psyche, which is that we are in a state of ghafla and we will not leave that state of ghafla regardless of what. And the other thing is, if everything was clear as clear as pie, it wouldn't be for us. <coughs> so that is uncovering something for us that is very unsettling because we think no if it was clear we would believe mm. you wouldn't have to believe because you see it you say yes i saw it but then what's the purpose so belief is not clarity belief is conviction and it comes from another dimension yes yeah i mean that's a very good summary of it it's it's a conviction this is why they, they call al-imanu tasdiq wal-iqrar so abu hanifa says Islam and Iman, in fact, is tasdiq, which is to say, Ashadun la ilaha illallah. And iqrar, which is, no, iq, sorry, iqrar is to say it, and tasdiq is to have it firmly in the heart. Mm -hmm. If you're seeing it, there's not, it's not going to be firmly in the heart. It's just something that you see and you see something else, and you saw something else, and then next thing you know, it's one amongst many major facts that you have. It's not something you work towards. So you, you, know, you, you, you won if you have this constant just to do. Mm -hmm. That's what focus. Comes from. Yes, focus. the constant, the the constant focus, the constant application, the constant striving. Um, yeah. So, like the Prophet said, did he not go in the Mi'raj? Just to remind everybody, he did go in the Mi'raj, Isra, and did he not at the end of his life stand in prayer until his feet became swollen, as Aisha radiallahu said, and when she asked him, you know. Why are you standing when God has forgiven on your behalf the sins of the previous people and the people to come? The Prophet said, Shouldn't I be a generous or thankful servant? So for him, being a thankful servant was more important than the fact that he is already elevated to the most highest elevations in the hereafter. Mm. Like he had nothing to achieve. It's not as if he needed to have another feather in, in the proverbial cap to show how great the Prophet is, he was great. His name before he was born was Ahmed. When he was born was Muhammad. And he was Mustafa, the one that was chosen. All these names were given to the Prophet by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So why is he still striving and, and, and toiling? 
because it's not it's not the end it's the journey it's, it's the it's the it's the conviction and the proof of your sincerity to the one that is worthy of worship because remember it's not sufficient that you know god it's that you worship god so allah says i've not created jinn and humans except to worship me and ibn abbas said to know but essentially to know is to based on the knowledge to end up adoring and worshiping and submitting to allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so um right it's almost blasphemous these these ayahs uh, or, or the 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 allegations are blasphemous and and then you move on to the fifth ayah which um is saying that prophet fabricates things mm-hmm. he he is confused mm-hmm. uh, this quran is a set of confused dreams and no 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 he's not just that he must be a poet mm. sheikh today in lahore there are reports possibly over a hundred people got killed um so this is what's going on in streets possibly really, i've not heard this in the bbc i've not i've, I've been keeping up to the news i've not heard anything yeah so there, there are there, there's a total blackout right so there are people on streets eyewitnessing uh, that there are clashes and there are people who got killed um and then the group who was calling for the lockdown of the city if there wasn't already a lockdown they came on tv and said go home but people today in lahore they said no we are going to close the businesses until you expel the the, the french ambassador so mm. it, it, it got to that point what I'm getting at is that these ayahs are probably in the same vein that there are allegations, there are there is blasphemy, and then there is a response mm-hmm. uh, by the community that existed then, and by the Prophet ﷺ himself, mm-hmm. When there were allegations, uh, how do we respond whilst we know? That the name of Prophet is one of the many names is Mukarram. He is mm. elevated. He is beautiful. He is um, many shades of the name of Mukarram. So Mukarram is one of the names I would want to share with the with the listeners uh, through yourself and also our uh, in these deep troubled times. Every year, every year, some part of the world. Muslim world gets into this, embroiled into this thing. Mm. So, I mean, this is a, a, a quite, a, a, I would say, a, a, a complicated issue, but it's also a very simple issue. The complicated aspect of it is the, the actual, the nature of the response that a government can give to it is 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 is, is, is an, a complicated issue because it, it takes into into consideration. Local politics, as I guarantee it will be, I don't know the local political situation and parties and and um, you know kind of um, you know the kind of political machinations that exist in a country like Pakistan or Libya or Iraq or any of the Muslim countries, where religion is stoked up and almost and there's a degree of naivety. I'll just say it very clearly. There's a, there's a, there's a large degree of naivety amongst um, Muslim 
religious leaders in terms of how they, you know, it's like, a, you know, like in bullfighting, they have the red flag and they throw it in front of the, the bull and then it charges. Hmm. There is a, is a, there's a deep sense that political leaders who are irreligious and have no interest in religion use the religious, and I've, I've read previous episodes of Pakistani politics to understand this in history, where it uses a religious icon or icon to an imagery to stoke up attention, which is not for the benefit of religion, but it's for the benefit of a political class or a specific political, political faction. I guarantee somewhere down the line that will be the case in Pakistan. The issue here is, in the Qur'an, it, it paraphrases and quotes word for word the allegations against the Prophet from the Quraysh, which are not allegations, they are essentially slurs and, and, and you would say blasphemous. It does it, so it quotes it and it, and it dispatches it and it deals with it. Mm. Now, those were aspects of saying the Prophet is not a true prophet because he wrote it himself. He's a poet or he was a war, warlord or this is all acceptable. To be honest, I mean, if, if you want to write a book about the reason the Prophet is not a prophet and that he oppressed people and, you know, Bismillah, do it. It's an untrue. And na'udhu billah, we, we consider it to be the height of untruth. But you can do it. But the other aspect here is hate, hate speech. Every single country under an international mandate, almost every country, by you know, that I know of, has certain protocols that are internationally recognized about hate, spe hate speech and and speech which leads to um, violence and inciting violence. Now, in, in countries such as France and in Denmark, it'd be much easier th that we have highly skilled l lawyers who deal with international law that, you know, take on states and take them to court and hold them to standards and then hold their populations to standards based upon commonly accepted um, criteria, such as the fact that you cannot deny, you know, the Holocaust in most of, almost all of Western Europe. It's impossible. You, you'll, be, you'll, be, you'll be jailed. And so the reason for that is it's hate speech. So it's not a religious discussion. This is not a, this is a discussion of, of oppressing the already oppressed. So in Europe, for example, it's not nothing to do with freedom of speech. If you think, if any Western um, polit political leader speaks to me and talks about freedom of speech, you can say what you want, but if it's against a privileged a segment of society, it will not be guaranteed. You know, if against the Jewish community, you're essentially attacking a privileged section of society. You will not be allowed to say that. But if you're allowed, if you're if you're to say it to the five million disenfranchised and um, enslaved. Algerian and, and Moroccan nationals in France, it's, oh, guess what? It's freedom of speech. And you're exercising your ability to critique religion. No, you're not. You're, you're basically inciting violence against, against a section of your population using the guise of a person who you're un, unworthy of even sitting in the dust of his feet, essentially. Because as you said, he's Mukarram, he's Karim. Elevated to the point that you have even yet to s smell the scent of his beautiful body. This is the reality of it. So whatever they say is, is it's something that is it does not encroach upon this blessed aura of spirituality that en envelops the Prophet where he rests at this moment in time. What it does is essentially is is is, is building up a very 
steep metaphorical and physical fire for them in the hereafter. Ahlan wa sahlan, you know, that's like if you want a barbecue, that's your barbecue there. Um, so Muslims have to be a bit more intelligent, not being, you know, when I see it, it makes me really sad because the 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 the, the depth of feeling that normal people have is real and true and is is amazing. But it's you know it's like somebody else is pulling your strings. You should be re you should realize that somebody else is doing this and using you and your your emotions and your convictions about the love of the Prophet and they're playing their own game. Please don't do something that will essentially turn people away from religion by you know because this is why I'm essentially why I'm saying this because I guarantee in Lahore, for example, in Pakistan. There'll be a large section of the people who have who love religion but are put off by religion by these kind of acts. Absolutely. So I would I mean, say probably forty to fifty percent of your population in Pakistan will be of that nature, who will see this and think, you know, Rosa to Meaning they want to disassociate themselves. They want to distance themselves from religion for a while because the, the religious elite who is carrying the banner of Ahtaram of Prophet in this violent manner, they want a clear distance. Mm -hmm. But then there is a population who I would say gets confused because if you don't support that, you, you will be classed as someone who loves Prophet not as much as they do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, you, you can't engage in, engage in that. I mean... This is this is why you know religious. I mean, this is a, a, a this is. I mean, I'm going to say it. I'll just say it. This is the result of the training of our religious scholarship in many parts of the Muslim world, coming from people that were less intellectual, intellectually, um, you know, entitled. Perhaps not the cleverest of people. Mm. I've said it. Unfortunately, if if you look at Egypt, if you weren't if you don't go into medical school, engineering school. You went to Azhar for the last 72, 73 years. That's a reality. I mean, that's I know that for a fact. In Syria, it changed over the last 42 years because they saw the honor that scholars had and then the, the most intelligent of people used to send their, some of their children to the, the seminaries for some of them to get educated because they were honored. But that took a lot of time. That took a lot of effort from, from the part of scholars. But in the majority of the Muslim countries, that's not the case. It's the person that is seen that they cannot be capable in in academia to you know they, they're basically sent there and so what do we say we say our religion remains pure and honorable and enlightened and worthy of worthy of adornment and adoration till the end of time not the followers the followers are human beings and that's it the prophet remains a mustafa the mukarram and I guarantee if he, he was to be part of this, you would see a very different... And this is what I'm saying. I'm saying if the Prophet is here, he would be the one that would pull up these scholars. Mukarram. I know that for a fact. If I, if, I don't, if I made a mistake in that, I've not been studying properly. True. Mukarram, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So Prophet, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, being Mukarram, remains Mukarram in our hearts. Buzurg. Um, is one meaning in Urdu I see Mukarram, Buzurg, mm. the, the one who's elevated, but the the one who has Buzurg is Persian, so yeah, uh, someone who's unparalleled. Mm. Yeah, so it, in 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 Persian it, it has a sense of elderly, 
the connotation of having wisdom, whereas mukarram in Arabic is just it is unrelated to time, unrelated to age. It is related to your your characteristics. So whatever you have, if you have it when you're seventeen, you're still mukarram. Prophet said, "Ida jaakum karima kaumin fakrimuhu." If a if an elevated person or a generous person comes to you, then you know essentially, and you know essentially, show them this generosity that they have given you. Allahumma salli ala Muhammad. Uh, reflections with Sheikh Rizwan Muhammad and your host Uzbarakram. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. Kum salam wa rahmatullah.